Okay. Why did Cinderella fell at basketball? Because she had a pumpkin for a coach. <laughs> you want to hear a joke about construction? Yeah. I'm still working on it. <laughs> Why can't you hear a pterodactyl P? Because a P is silent. <laughs> and then the final one. A police pulls over a man for speeding and asks him to get out of the car. After looking the man over, the policeman says, Sir, I couldn't help but notice your eyes are bloodshot. Have you been drinking? The man gets really indignant and says, Officer, I couldn't help but notice your eyes are glazed. Have you been eating donuts? <laughs> Some cop friends may not like that one, but... <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. Do they eat a lot of donuts? Yeah, they do. Okay. So they say... Yeah, so they say. Maybe a stereotype. All right. <clears throat> we are to chapter 11, believe it or not. Um, well, maybe not. We shouldn't be. Because uh, I don't think I either completely missed studying verses 32 through uh, 39. So... We may have to backtrack because we did not finish chapter 10, I don't think. But maybe we did. We'll, we'll have to, she's going to check it out. Okay. Faith, other than the Holy Spirit, is one of my favorite topics. We've got 3239 on this, on the previous one. Okay, so I just finished reading that last week, I guess. Okay, thank you. It's one of my favorite topics because, as far as uh, discussing faith, because it's so misunderstood in Christendom. Uh, it's very practical. There's very practical ways to build faith. In fact, I was looking over a series I did. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Prayer 2.0 and then Faith 2.0 that I did over at the Masters. And, uh, and I think that was a time that I had that vision of you fighting in prayer and intercession and then the angel when the angel was sent with your prayers in a jar like a mason jar to release them all of a sudden it intensified making it impossible to see the answer coming right um and i think that was during the prayer series anyway i was looking back at the faith series i've got like 16 or 18 teachings on faith i'm like man maybe i need to put that in my phone and listen anyway uh if you want to learn about faith and how it works and really go deep then i would suggest going to the website and it's under resources and it's called faith 2.0 um it's really good it's one of the few that i've actually got the entire series in one place the other one was on the kingdom and i might have done one on prayer but anyway uh, that way you can really solidify but we're here in Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> it's going to take us a little bit to get through. I'm not going to go through every single detail of every faith hero, obviously. I'm just going to point out some specific things. But if there are lessons that you want to share, that you've learned from these people, um, then please speak up. Uh, so we're going to start off with verse 1, obviously, and set the groundwork where it says uh, in the Passion, Now faith 
brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. There is so much in that. Like if people just get revelation on that one verse, their faith will skyrocket for sure. I want to read the English Standard, and I want to break down some of the words. So in the English Standard Version, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out, and you guys have heard me talk about this, is that it's now faith. Not future tense faith, not past faith, it's now. So faith is present tense with an eye toward the future. So you can say it like this, faith is now, hope is the expectation of future good. So your hope, which is the expectation of future good, must be anchored in now faith. If you don't have your hope, anchored and now faith you will not get the future you expect okay so a lot of people can get them confused they'll put uh, the future on faith and not even have any hope and you'll hear people that are doing this I used to say I'm believing for so that's putting faith in an illegal box hope is future faith is now okay does that make sense Okay. Once I learned that, that right there, it cleared up a lot for me. Okay, so faith operates in the present tense. Some may think it's semantics, but true now faith is always present tense, or when people are speaking in faith, it may be past tense. So a biblical example of that is when Isaiah, before Jesus Christ even came, said, by his stripes we are now healed, right? which is incredible. If you fast forward to Peter, he says, by his stripes we were healed. So that means that every healing you need is past tense. But it requires you to pull it into your future. Right? By faith and then expectation. Okay. Faith makes the intangible tangible. So if you have true heart conviction, which is a definition of faith, another word for faith is agreement, and not just mental assent, then what you'll find is your language lines up to what you've believed for. For example, uh, the most common example is uh, when me and Mike went and uh, found the Chevelle uh, for my graduation gift. Dad had not given me permission yet for him to go, you know, to buy it for me for graduation. Uh, he said, when you get the price down, but before we even went back, and Mike's like, we got to fix this, we got to fix that, we got to fix this, we got to fix that. Before he even did that, I said, I have a new car. I had a gift of faith. Now, a gift of faith is different than faith. So, a gift of faith is where, just like it implies, it's a gift that comes on you. You have faith without having to read the word, without having to do anything you just know that you know a lot of times people that operate in miracles they'll also operate in a gift of faith they have no doubt whatsoever that's what I was operating in on the car it was a gift of faith I knew it was mine and the gift of faith is often given uh, so a sovereign act or a sovereign move of God can occur because contrary to popular belief God does nothing without faith he, that's his legal 
access to moving the earth is faith. Uh, I think the mirror puts it really nice uh, about the uh, now faith, the faith and the hope. It said the shadow no longer substitutes for the substance. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, your shadow, what you're looking for, because it's just because mm-hmm. yeah. you don't have it in your hand, it's the shadow of it. Yeah. And then when you get the faith, it's, it's the substance. It's the substance. That's good. That's really good. But biblical faith apart from the gift of faith is where you have to build up your faith. According to Jude, you do that by praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Uh, Faith comes by hearing the Word. Now that's referring to the good news being preached so that when you preach the good news to a sinner, uh, if they are uh, being drawn by Father, all of a sudden they'll have gift or they'll have faith and they'll see they'll understand they'll want to be born again. But it also applies to really any word. So if you have an area where you might be struggling with doubt, then you need to get the Word, study it, dissect it, and even record yourself decreeing it and listen to it, you know, maybe in your morning devotion time for 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it is. But become very active in contending for faith because you cannot rely on a gift of faith. That's why a lot of people that work in miracles will have physical conditions in their body that they cannot get breakthrough because they have not learned to appropriate faith because they expect a gift of faith to kick in. Okay? So you got to know the difference between the two. It's like praying in missionary tongues so that people understand what you're saying versus your own personal tongue, right? Uh, So if you pray in a tongue, you need to have an interpretation but that does not eliminate praying in your personal tongue in a, uh, 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 what's the word, public setting. So there's a lot of confusion there because they're targeting the wrong tongue. Okay? All right. Now, in cir- circuit in circuit Corinthians 4.13. See? It's effect. It's spread. Okay. Your language will line up with the reality. The, many that, the reason that many are not seeing results is they think that their mental assent is actually faith. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says, we have the same, and if you have your Bible in this location or maybe on your paper, underline spirit of faith. Now, in grammar, if you had an of, you could say faith's spirit. There's ownership. So spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, first I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. What I want you to see, number one, is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of faith. That is going to be crucial because you're not trying to believe Him in your faith. You're tapping into the spirit of faith evidence and a description right we have the same spirit of faith that is described when it says I believed then I spoke so the description the way you know and this could be very practical and we may not even get through our pages but the way you know that you are operating in the Holy Spirit faith or the spirit of faith is you believe first in your heart 
and then you speak it present tense. Okay? And we'll get into confession because people get really confused about that because they're afraid if they speak a wrong confession, that blah, 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 blah. So we're going to get into that. I mean, I got asked that all the time when I was part of the church world. I'm like, guys, if you believe and you've spoken, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Abraham, is Sarah pregnant yet? No. Does that mess with his faith? No, because he knows it's a done deal. He doesn't have to lie and say she's pregnant. You know what I mean? He knows she will be. He's already believed for it. It's already done. So he's just waiting for a manifestation, right? So we can kind of get a little bit weird. But there's the other side of where I've prayed for people, uh, released a healing actually, because you don't pray for healing, released a healing, and right after I'm done, they claim that sickness as if they had not received a healing. Okay? So there's a big difference. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So faith is the spirit of faith. It's a knowing, and here's how it works, that comes from agreement with the spirit of faith, the Holy Spirit. Now, this leads to the second point. Belief comes first, then confession. A lot of people are trying to confess their way into faith. That's not how that works. You know that you know that you know. So, for example, when my foot was broken, you know, had prayer, couldn't get it healed, what did I do? I had to see. I had to come into agreement in my imagination, according to Ephesians 1, 17 through 18, a few moments every single day in prayer, seeing myself walking without surgery and without a boot, right? Bam. It only took a few days. The other day I was uh, fussy before Friday. I was fussy about my uh, shoulder. And I was like, oh, I need to see myself, you know, swinging my bells and doing work around the house and raking and things without it uh, hurting. Um, I've been getting, like, degrees. But it was like that was, and I forgot. I forgot to, to do that. So what's happening is your subconscious is part of your heart. The fastest way to retrain your subconscious is vision. And so, that's why God says that you have to see it with the eyes of your understanding, which is take a picture and gaze at the picture in your imagination. Now, oh, are you talking about visualization? Yeah. Yeah, actually I am. Because the visualization that's in New Age is a counterfeit of biblical visualization, right? And uh, so anyway... That's one of the ways that if you're having a rough time getting what you have asked God for, then you need to get that picture in Holy Spirit's presence and bring it up every morning or every afternoon or every evening when you're in prayer time and see yourself in that. And that will train your heart. Okay? So it's really important uh, to have these practical things to help you to believe. Okay. Now, a lot of people, again, will try to use a confession to make themselves believe, but that's not how you do it. However, hearing the Word of God will uh, build up your faith. Okay? So it's not going to give it to you, but it will strengthen it, and that can be very important in times of trial. All right. 
let's see here. The word assurance, back to uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is hypostasis. So if we look, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Okay. This means to place or set under, implying that which underlies or undergirds the apparent. It's the reality, it's the essence, it's the substance. Your faith is the substance. It's the reality before it becomes reality, right? It's the guarantee or proof of the thing hoped for. Now, this is important because, again, faith is required for God to move in the earth. If you don't have faith, you don't have any proof that he can attach himself to to bring it to pass. When the enemy tries to come and tell you it's not going to happen, if you don't have faith, you don't have proof. Right? So your faith is actually a legality. It is a court document. So that's very important. And it's also, according to Rick Renner, your title deed. How can I prove that I own my Chevelle? I have the title in my name. The Kia that I have out there ain't mine yet. It's owned by Kia Financing. It's in their name. I make a down payment or I pay on it every single month with the full expectation that at the end of my last payment, that car is mine. Your speech of confession from a place of heart belief is your payment. It's your proof. So sometimes you get an instant miracle. Sometimes it takes time, right? Now here's something that's interesting. Your generational line can cause you to have to overcome things you would never have had to overcome. It doesn't mean you're still under a curse. It's all about taking ground. So in my generational line, there were specific things that were done that I decided were going to end with me. Now, I wish I would have figured them out before Kent was along, and I didn't. So now, my roof, right, is his ceiling. But I can guarantee you that he is a lot farther along than me and Mike were at his age on, on you know, specific things. So you may have things that you're having to overcome based on a, a, a momentum that has occurred. But by faith, you now have a title deed to the promise of God, and you can end that thing quickly. You can accelerate it. So it's like doubling up on your payments. And so you use your mouth, your confession in faith to do it. If someone goes to lay hands on you, or they go to pray, like so like Friday, right? It's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for healing my shoulder. Uh, and I'm going to make sure my heart is in faith when you guys lay hands on me or it is a, a wasted prayer. Okay? So while we were praying for Darina, I'm recalling past instances of healing. And then by the time I step forward, which you all heard the, the click, I thought it was like Kathy's shoulder or Margie's shoulder or something with Darina. I didn't know it was in my body because I didn't feel a thing. But when y'all said, no, that was in yours, I'm like, 
okay, we've got progress here. You know what I mean? Like, to me, I had to be in that place so that when y'all laid hands on me, the faith that I have in healing would rise up to meet y'all's prayer. How you pray for people is really important. Okay? You want to put them at ease. Uh, I will often tell people to be quiet. It's hard to drink and talk at the same time. But at the same time, you can have an aggressive posture of receiving, if that makes sense. You're, you're just, you're, you know, I'm going to get this, whether it's on the inside or not. So, you know, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but the main thing is, there's no way I was going to ask you guys to pray for me if I did not believe that when you did, healing would be released in my body. I think a lot of times we pray for people before they're in faith, and then they think, God let them down. And that's dangerous. We don't want to do that. Okay. <clears throat> Plain and simple, your faith is a guarantee and the evidence of what you're expecting before you get it. Now, we've talked about hope a lot. I'm just going to briefly say that, again, it's not a wish, but in the Greek, it is to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. It's an expectation, meaning you expect that thing you're, you've believed for to manifest. You're not wishing for it. You now know it's only a matter of time because your faith for it is your proof and your guarantee. Now the word conviction, conviction of things hoped for. The word conviction is also an evidence word and it means evidence, proof, and verification. So you see these are two legal things. Faith gives you the ability to see the unseen before the unseen becomes the seen. Okay? Now, favorite passage on faith. If you want to dissect this, underline it, highlight it, take notes in your own time, I would highly suggest this. I first heard this taught uh, in a remarkable way uh, from uh, Christian Harfouche out in uh, uh, Florida, and it just changed how I saw faith drastically. It's Mark 11, 22 through uh, 24. Now, if you go on past that, it does talk about the necessity of being in a posture of forgiveness. Okay, so if you're going to get your, your prayers answered, you need to be in a posture of forgiveness. Uh, make sure your heart's free of offense, uh, which can sometimes be tough. But that aside, let's look at verses 20 through, 22 through 24. And Jesus answered them, and this is post-fig tree, right? He cursed the fruitfulness of the fig tree, not the fig tree itself. Very interesting idea there. But Jesus answered and said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and he was looking at Herod's palace up on top of the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his mind. Oh, what is it? Heart. We're often up here. It's down here, guys. Okay? Does not doubt his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, now here it is, believe, that's now faith, that you have received, that's past, and it future will be yours. Now, the crux of it is you have to believe that you've received it in prayer. Now, when I taught on faith a long time ago, I asked you guys, it might have been prayer first, I asked you guys, when do you receive your answer? 
in prayer. So when you go to your prayer closet, if you don't have faith, because faith is tangible, you'll feel it. If you don't have it, start praying in tongues until you do. Once you got it, then release your request. Because if you release it beforehand, whether prematurely or there's no faith at all, you'll either not get it or you'll get a premature, uh, underdeveloped answer. So make sure you're in a place of faith. But here is, I love how the Passion phrases have faith in God because the Greek actually has a different idea. In the Passion it says, let the faith of God be in you. Now, that's according to Holy Spirit is the spirit of faith, right? We've already seen that. So it's saying, let the faith of God be in you. In the original language there, in Mark 11, 22, it's have God's faith. Do you think maybe he was decreeing and imparting that to them? Have God's faith. Yeah. That, that's how I see him doing it. Have God's faith. Like he was imparting that spirit, that tangible essence of who Holy Spirit is. So he's saying, have God's faith. Again, it takes it outside of you. You just tap into His. Jesus also pinpointed faith as a heart condition by saying to not doubt in the heart. Again, you can tell someone is doubting in their heart when you pray for you know against asthma and they you know, still call it my asthma or whatever it is. So uh, when people do that, that tells me they're in mental ascent and they really didn't receive. And it's the same thing with prophetic words, guys. Anything God wants to give you, it's not just healing. It's anything He wants to give you, whether it's a prophetic word, healing, some tangible gift or benefit like your, your uh, piece of furniture. I, I love that story. Whatever it is, you have to actively receive. Faith is never passive. Never, ever, ever, ever. When someone gives you a prophetic word, it's like you position your entire being to aggressively take that word. And then you don't stop there. Then you write it down, you pray it, you study it, what's my to-do list, and you become an active participant in that thing coming to pass. So I've got several new prophetic words. It's like, okay, I need to sit down. and Okay, Lord, which one are we tackling first? What does this look like, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with your healing. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do uh, today? What is some uh, act that I can do to show that I believe I have already been healed. Okay? Yeah. So like in worship, you know, I'm like, already, it's, it's a done deal. Like seriously, guys, when I say it's a done deal, I'm, it's, it's a done deal. It doesn't matter to me. It's just a done deal. I can acknowledge that when I was doing my hands like this, I felt pain. But I'm not going to in any way stop worshiping him with my body because it's sin. Worship you with all your body, your mind, your soul, your strength, right? So those are things, that are actions I can do because I know Jesus Christ purchased this healing 2,000 years ago. Whether I was an idiot or not, I didn't So doubt is centered in the heart. When I got the working believer offering revelation, I immediately acted, even when I got the bad news, I wasn't going to get any money that month, right? I immediately acted, and it has unlocked a key to wealth. In fact, I was showing Mike our 
I was like, man, look at this, you know. I was doing a new budget. You know, we got debt paid off and different things. When you truly believe, you act. The rest is history. If you don't believe, be honest about it. It's all right. We can work on that. But don't try to fake it until you make it. That doesn't work with faith. <laughs> so when you truly believe, act. When you don't, be honest. Get into the Word. Study it out. Find what is yours by covenant. Meditate and speak the Scriptures. Pray in tongues until you feel faith. That's Jude 20. And then release your request. Now notice that Jesus says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe present tense, present tense that you have received, past tense, and it will future tense be yours. You receive your request in prayer when you believe, not when it actually manifests in your life. The confession before faith is the horse before the cart. And the enemy knows it. He can tell if you're really in faith and he'll attack you if you're not. So you need to be uh, aware of that. Now, how do you know, and you guys have heard me talk about this, how do you know when you're in mental ascent? Well, I know that God, I know, I know, I know. It's, when I hear people, and I've said this over and over, say, well, I know this and I know that. Where are they at? They're up here. Because I never see people that are in true faith do that. It's very interesting. You would think that people that are in true faith would be saying, I know. And I mean, they might occasionally. But when you compare it to people that have mental assent, they say it all the time. So when I hear people saying, I know God loves me, and I know He's provided for my needs, and I know, and when you pray for them, and I know, blah, 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 and I know, I always stop them. And I tell them, no, you're in mental assent. You are in gnosis. You have a present and fragmentary understanding, but it's not yet become epinosis, which takes it into experience. So... When you're thinking about something that you've requested from the Lord, maybe pinpoint where your faith is. Is it up here or here? Because again, it's tangible. You'll feel it. So if you know it's up here and it's not, it's not quite gotten past your heart, then what's happened is your heart needs to get up into here. So kind of pinpoint that a little bit. It can sometimes be an, a, an easy way to gauge where you're at in belief okay do you feel it up here or do you feel it down there the phrase faith comes by hearing the word of god again applies to those that hear the gospel to be born again but here's the thing consuming the word to where it becomes revelation is key because revelation always produces faith in action always a lot of people aren't getting what they're praying for because it's not yet revelation. You cannot believe that God has already healed you and not be healed. If you say that you do and yet you doubt, is it His will, then you've already lost. Right? So you might as well just not even pray. Just get in the Word. And by the way, don't try to use past experiences where people didn't get healed to spark faith because that dang sure won't work. <laughs> That's where you got to have the word and it trumps other people's experiences. Okay, so back to 11.1 uh, where it says, uh, Rick Renner, I told you this, he says that your faith is your title deed. 
either way, it's the foundation that's needed to acquire the things that we long for. All right, so any questions or thoughts so far? I just want to be very practical, give you lots of good keys. Okay. Verses 2 through 3. The, oh, what? Sorry. So you'll always know faith, you said it. You'll always feel it. Well, I'm not sure you'll always feel it, but there's almost like the way I describe it is a tangible shift to me. Because faith is a substance in, in the kingdom, like a literal substance. And whenever I know I'm in faith, it's almost like there's a shift. Has anybody ever felt that? Mm-hmm. It's like a shift, and you know you're in faith. So I'm not sure if you'll feel it, like it'll be a physical sensation, an emotional sensation, but it's like right here, and all of a sudden, you know you're in faith. Does that make sense? I don't know if I answered that. Okay. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Now this is another key. Everything. The landscape, the animals, the bugs, the uh, water, the sky, everything was first in the imagination of God. See, that's why the enemy tries to steal visualization. He saw all that we see now, of course better, you know, it's been kind of abused, but everything that he created, he saw first. And because he's a spirit of faith, when he spoke, there was power, dunamis power, that was behind his words. So again, that's why confessing before you believe is useless. Can you imagine if God didn't believe that when he spoke it was going to happen? We might have like crazy stuff that came out. Like combinations of birds and bugs or something. I don't know, like, there's just no telling, you know. But he saw it, he spoke it because he's a spirit of faith. Secondly, there's nothing more powerful than speaking forth in faith. It is impossible for faith to fail. Only prayers that go unanswered are those that are not his will, those without true faith, and those with wrong motives. Those are the three things. You're asking out of His will, you don't have faith, or you've got wrong wrong motives. And it's very easy to find His will. You just read the Bible. Alright, now we're going to move into Abel. Okay? Faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to God, to offer God, than his brother Cain. And God declared him righteous. This is a pattern with faith. God declared him righteous because of his offering of faith. By his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead. Faith is multi-generational. It goes on and on and on and on. Okay, let's break this down really quick. Oh, we're going to go ahead and read about Enoch. Faith translated Enoch from this life, and he was taken up into heaven. He never had to experience death. He just disappeared from this world because God promoted him. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure 
to God. And I don't know how to mirror phrases it, Kathy, but if you see anything neat, let me know. Okay. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Cain offered the sacrifice of his crops. What was the problem? Some were like, well, you know, because he was trying to be under the law. The law didn't exist. Later we see that grain offerings were actually a very sa uh, uh, fine sacrifice to the Lord. It wasn't that. It was this. Both of them received a revelation from Adam and Eve that blood covers sin. Cain refused to offer that sacrifice. So he did his own. He's the epitome of the first religious Pharisee. He didn't want to do it God's way. How do we know they knew that? Because God sacrificed animals and clothed them. You know he didn't just you know shoot with a bow at a deer or something and skinned it and said, here you go, throw those on. I'm sure the Lord explained what he was doing. Remember, they covered themselves with fig leaves and they still felt naked. But then God came and performed the very first sacrifice. I mean, there's so much prophetic in there. It's unbelievable. And then he clothed them and covered them. Right? They would have passed that on to Cain and Abel. They would have told them about the garden. They would have told them about listening to the serpent. They would have told them all of that. And they would have trained them. In fact, they were probably twins. And they would have trained them in the blood sacrifice, but Cain didn't want to do it that way. Abel took that revelation and decided he would offer him the best and the first of all of his sheep. And here's the original uh, Hebrew and Aramaic of that incident. It says, and I love this, that when Abel offered that, which by the way, it ended up him getting murdered, but when he offered that sacrifice at great cost, okay, God sat back in heaven and looked around and said, did you guys just see that? that? That's how much it impacted them. Okay? Now, Enoch, this is crazy. Enoch is one of my favorite people. Enoch <laughs> was snatched up to heaven because he lived by a faith that fueled his passion and strength in sinking God. He became obsessed with God. In fact, I think he's probably the closest human to Jesus before Jesus to experience, the closest to God. Now, in verse 6 it says, And without faith, living, living faith, without living faith within us, it, is, uh, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing He's number one real, and that He rewards the faith of of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking Him. We need to make a place for faith to dwell. Faith should be at home in us. It should not be a struggle. Faith is based in love. Okay? So let's look at Galatians 5-6. We're almost done actually because the rest is kind of reading a lot about Sarah. In Galatians 5, 6, in the Passion Translation, it says, When you're placed into the Anointed One and joined to Him, circumcision and religious obligations benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith 
that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Okay, now this is interesting. It tells us a few things. Number one, faith has to be living. Number two, it has to be active. Number three, it matures. Faith grows. It strengthens. It's mature. That's why I say just be honest. God isn't upset if you don't yet have faith for what you're asking for. What He would get upset with is if you continue to disbelieve Him. But why is it perfected by love? Any thoughts? Grace is the empowerment based on love. love. Okay. Anybody else? Love is in your heart. And when you love somebody, it doesn't matter what they do. As long as you have love, you can forgive anything. Mm -hmm. There's something to that. Anybody else? Is it love covered sin? No. Oh. Well, I mean, it could be because along those lines, the idea is that because you know He loves you, even if you're a stinker, He'll still answer your prayer. Yeah. Some people will say, I already forgive you, but I don't love you. Right. So without love, you can't forgive. You have to love, literally love the person to forgive the person. Right. Here's the thing. When you know you're loved by someone and you ask a request of them, you know they're going to give it to you. So it's trust. Trust dwells in love. So then the question is, okay, so if you break it down, so trust dwells in love, faith is agreement, or trust and father. When you break that down, that means that if you are having trouble believing for a specific promise in your life, there is a breakdown of trust because there's a breakdown of how would you put it a revelation of his love for you okay so that that's very important because a lot of people are trying to believe a father that they're not sure loves them unconditionally right we talked about people offering sacrifices of going to church and tithing and blah blah to you know get rid of that guilty conscience the heart that condemns them that's why it's so crucial I don't care if I have just done something wrong in the Lord's eyes. All I have to do is say, I'm sorry. Hey, Father, would you mind doing this for me? It, it, that's just how it is, right? So faith is activated and brought to perfection by love. And I would just add on by knowing His love for you. Okay? Now... Love here is agape. But listen to this definition. I had never heard it. To have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard with affection. So there's thankfulness and affection there, right? This, excuse me, type of love requires relationship. And with relationship comes revelation of His love for you that then activates and perfects your faith. Faith will not grow apart from love. 
You have to be growing in the understanding of how much he loves you. In fact, he showed me this morning. Um, I was like, you know, pondering, you know, um, my arm and things like that. And the Lord said, you know you've been having a fear. Oh, I had a fear? He goes, yeah. He said, you've been having a fear that you have no health insurance. And so you're, you're like you're getting older. And so you may need health insurance because you're getting older. He said, so where's your trust? Is it in me or is it in health insurance? Well, obviously health insurance. Interesting. And I, I started looking back like, okay, you know, as you age, your spine, you know, it starts doing weird things. And maybe I now have, you know, a bulging disc and now you know I'm gonna have to have surgery and you know like all this crazy stuff goes in your head or what if I like fall down the stairs in my slipper and I break something again and you know and there's one thing to not be an idiot you know and just fall downstairs but I thought that was a very interesting thing so because I was pondering how come I can literally pull a grate out of an oven at 380 degrees and not Gigi show them your hand it should be all totally bruised. He accidentally, he was turning over and slammed his hand in his metal, like bed thing. Yeah. And with it, the thinners, he would have it would have been well, the, covered. Like this one here, just for barely touching something. Yeah. And one over here, barely. But I mean, I went bam. And I mean, it hurt. And immediately, I just started speaking that it's not there's got to be any bruising, no uh, pain. All he that. pulled a sherry. And then I wanted to look at it right then. I said, but it was pretty dark in the room. So I said, well, I'll check it in the morning. Which is probably good. Yeah. yeah. And I did check it when I got it. I went, look at that. We're cool. Yeah. Because it would have been. Cool. A, you've seen it when I get a pretty good one. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's, yeah. This would have been covered the whole. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was pondering, how, can I can, how come I can do that? And yet this has been a five-week uh, situation. And it was fear. Oh probably gonna have to have surgery or shots so what was I doing I think about Gigi I had some neck thing and he had to have shots and I thought about other people that had to have their spine fused you painted a picture. oh I painted a picture <laughs> so then I'm like I need to change that picture yeah but it was interesting it was very very interesting so what is that that is okay well there there's past evidence that people had to have certain things happen and so I was focusing on that evidence instead of the evidence that I've already collected that God is faithful and true and I've already been healed it's a very interesting thing but just to share you know some of why why do we get stuck in these loops and then we wonder why nothing is changing or why we're only having a measure now at the same time because it's according to the faith you have right Jesus said that over and over and over he said that over and over you're healed according to your faith the other side of it is sometimes healing is therapeutics, meaning in the original language, there is a process of recovery. So when I look back at when I had mono, it was a process of recovery of which God equipped me with specific secret weapons that I could then pass on to other people. But I guarantee you, if I would have had the revelation of healing that I have today, there's no way I would have been sick for a full three years. When God told me you're halfway there at the year and a half mark, I'm like, wow. Okay. He wasn't saying that was his will. He was just letting me know that's where that's you're where at. at. 
because he tells you something doesn't mean that's what he wants. I probably should have said, what? Another year and a half? No. I do not want another year and a half. No way. I'm going to get my faith where we can fast track this sucker. You know what I mean? Just because he speaks doesn't mean he's telling you that's what he wants. We need to ask him questions, guys. Because when we hear Holy Spirit, we think that's it. He's probably like, no, that's where you're at. How about you ask where I'm at? So that was, that right there, if you take nothing away, that that's probably very beneficial. It's like my fear isn't not having the health insurance. It's the, what I've been preaching about being healed. <laughs> that I worry that, okay, that hasn't gone away yet. Why am I, why am I sick if I'm over here preaching? Oh, but, you know, what is oh, it yeah. looking like to them? Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember when I we had to do healing rooms with my broken foot? Yeah. <laughs> Tried doing that. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah. please pardon this huge boot that's on my foot. You know? But what was interesting, people kept, oh, I didn't even notice. Why? Because people are there about them. They need a healing. They didn't even notice my foot. But I'm the one, look. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And I felt this need to explain why I'm still wearing a boot. But don't let that affect your healing. So after the first two people, the Lord's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to make sure that people have faith. You don't need to worry about my reputation. You're worried about your reputation. Mm. Right there. Right in the heart. And I'm like, you're right. It's ego. He goes, yeah, don't worry about that. Just pray and they'll be healed. I'm like, okay. And that's what I did. And no one ever noticed. <laughs> so it's very interesting how we are when we think that we're trying to protect God and His reputation when it actually it can tend to be our own. So I'm not saying that cheap, but it was for me. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> That's for free, Roberta. Okay. On the flip side, your high regard of love for Him also activates and perfects faith. Now, I love this. This is so good in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. This is a great apostolic prayer to pray over yourself. Then by constantly, did you notice that? Constantly using your faith. Constantly. The life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of His love will become the very source and root of your life. And there's so much to unpack, which we're not going to do. But it then says, then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. Excuse me. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Okay, now it's hard to see which comes first, faith or love. Because it's by constantly using your faith that you begin to make a home for love. And then as you make a home for love, you then see all the dimensions of love and then that then makes your faith full and then you start overflowing with the fullness of God. I mean, I don't know which comes first. But we do know that you need both in order to experience these realities. And then so by faith, you're making a home for love. Yeah, but look, because it says right here, 
by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released and the resting place of His love will become the very source and root of your life. I guess you could say, let's say that love is a house. You get a key, right? So you get a key to unlock your door. So you want to unlock love. It's faith. Turn it, it's unlocked. Okay, so maybe we can phrase it that way. So by you unlocking that door so that love can become that resting place, you're now going to begin to experience love in all of its dimensions, which is the highest pursuit you can have because God is love. Remember that word y'all gave to uh, female zero, one, two, and it was love. Love, 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 love. Everywhere was love, right? So that's what this is referring to. Now, <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 7, 7-11. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things he had never seen. But Because he, he'd never seen rain. Y'all knew that, right? It had never rained before. But he stepped out in reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. Get this. By his faith, the world was condemned. But Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. Have you ever thought about your faith condemning others? Well, it says that the Jews will look on to the Gentile yeah, and become and convicted or convicted, are jealous. jealous, want what we yeah. have. And I think that's kind of that same picture, that they're kind of convicted just because they see what God is And not only that, faith equals results. So when you have faith and you're getting results in life, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the blessings you receive are evidence. Okay? The favor of God is on you, but with it comes persecutions. Because people will either want what you have because you're so blessed, or they will be jealous over what you have because you're so blessed. Isn't that interesting? So it really depends on the heart of the person, but you're absolutely correct. So by his faith, the world was condemned, meaning that Noah believed the warnings and revelation from God about what was coming that spurred him to action. And by his action, he brought the judgment on the world. Very interesting. Jesus asked a question, will I find faith when I return? <clears throat> so... Faith and love, to me, like the love of many will grow cold, he's referring to believers, are very uh, two important things that we need to stay on top of. On top of that, Noah, just like Abel, was declared righteous because he uh, believed. We are made the righteousness of God now when we believe in Jesus Christ. Back then, Noah couldn't live in heaven yet because he died in his fallen nature, but his faith in God was equal to righteousness and so he patiently waited for the work of Jesus Christ so that now he and all the others who believed in him before the cross are in heaven. So faith has always equaled righteousness. Old Testament and New Testament. The only thing, remember, that had to be removed was the consciousness of sin. That's why he had to do that. Okay, now let's finish up uh, verses 8 and 9 which are funny. Faith may, uh, motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. 
Abraham stepped out in faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant, legal immigrant, <laughs> in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. Okay, this is so cool. First of all, faith motivated Abraham to leave the familiar to discover. That needs to be someone's phrase, Dorina. Leave the familiar to discover. Yeah. Okay, so good. Leaving the familiar is uncomfortable. But Abraham had a vision. And he knew that when he arrived, he would recognize what he saw. So good. Okay? So leave the familiar to discover. And he left only with the promise. If, you never, if you've never left the familiar with only a promise and you have missed out, it's the most exhilarating but also tough because you're going towards something you can't see tangibly. And you sometimes wonder if you even heard God correctly or if you're even going in the right direction. So what he'll do is he'll send you kisses from heaven to assure you that you're on the right track. If you're not getting your kisses, which by the way, kisses represent the word. Uh, symbolically but if you're not getting your kisses like your furniture you know I little things know, like that you might be off track like that too mm -hmm. that's what I felt like this morning well like with Gideon I had here I had been given Gideon a bad rap this whole time you know maybe he had to have like two confirmations and angelic appearances and blah 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 visitations and here he was already gathered I go back and read it again because it's like it's not Never anything signed. that I had ever I have to apologize to his face when I get to heaven. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he'll send kisses from heaven to assure you that you're on the right track. But with faith, combined with the promise, you see what others don't. It's more real to you than the things you see with your physical eyes. And this vision infused with faith along with patience is what gets you to the goal. And that, uh, just to go back real quick, in Hebrews 6.12 it says, don't allow your hearts to grow dull, dull or lose your enthusiasm. But follow the example of those who fully received what God had promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. That's a good scripture. Okay, now here's, this is going to bless you guys, this next idea. Listen to this. I mean, I know there's probably been like bombs here and bombs there. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because that's why I love faith so much. There's so much to it. But... Abraham lived in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. What? And then he persuaded Isaac and Jacob that they too were heirs of this same promised land, but they were living in the land as if it wasn't theirs. Wait a minute. I thought they were supposed to be living in the land as if it was theirs. Here's the thing. Have you ever lived among others that are already living in the promise that you're not yet in? See, that's the thing. It's an inter inter interesting paradox to be in. Here it is. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already knew that land was theirs. And yet at the time it wasn't theirs. So they're living in a land that's not theirs, although they know it's theirs. That's the paradox of times where you're in between the promise and in between the fulfillment. Where it's like everybody you know is actually living in the promise that you want to have. And that season of time is to expose any offense or jealousy in your heart. 
Are you going to celebrate other people that are living in the promises? When you're in that place of paradox? Or are you going to start getting fussy and pity parties? Man, I wish I could have that. They're not any more spiritual than I am. Yeah, tests that you don't know about are the most dangerous. Hezekiah, did he lived according to everything David did. And then in a place of prosperity and abundance, when the rulers from Babylon came, he showed them everything he possessed. The worst thing he could do, I mean, obviously Hezekiah was not a D. You never show everything you've got. <laughs> you know what I mean? You hold your cards close to your vest, sir. Shows them everything. Why? Because he needed to prove to them that Israel was just as powerful and just as strong and just as prosperous as Babylon. And guess what? Isaiah said, what did you do? Well, I just showed them everything I owned. Well, because of that, they're going to come and one day take everything and your sons will become eunuchs in their kingdom. He's like, well, as long as it doesn't happen while I'm alive. He was being tested. And it says the Lord withdrew to see what He would do. The strongest temptation to lose your dependence on God is when you are blessed. If you can learn to hold on to that dependency when you're blessed in whatever area it is, that is the strongest place you can be in. It's really easy to depend on God when you have lack. It ain't that easy to depend on God when you have everything that you could ask for. Right? Whether it's material, spiritual, it doesn't matter. Why do people fall at the end? Because they're at a place where they feel they've arrived and they've lost their need for God. I thought it was interesting because in this 11, I just went through and marked. Faith brings our hope. Faith moved. This is the passion, how faith translated, faith opened, faith motivated, faith embraced, faith rested, faith operated, faith inspired, faith prompted, faith stirred, faith pulled down, and faith provided. I just thought that was interesting. Can you send those to us? And yeah, maybe, maybe you're supposed to write a devotion. I don't know. because, But I thought that was interesting. <laughs> that it was like the superhero of the, the verse. It was because faith was doing these things. Yeah, faith is a superhero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But That's I had good. not noticed that before. Well, I don't know it if does. it's that way. I don't know if it's that way in the translations. But I just got to notice and it was like. That's good. Yeah. The action uh, faith yeah. inspires. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Can you send those to us later? Okay. I mean, we could just talk about this all day, but I'm sure you guys will probably be like, oh my gosh. Okay. For people that live in promises, by the way, guys, for like, you know, visionaries and people that are always looking to the next thing God wants to do, you will, you can tend to always feel out of time. Okay. But when you see someone in front of you that they're living in the promise, just say, I'm next. That's one of the best things I learned years ago. I'm next. All right, let's finish up. Uh, Hebrews 11.10. I'm just going to touch on this because next week we're actually going to take a pause and we're going to dive into the revelation God gave me uh, Monday concerning this verse. It says, His eyes of faith, Abraham's, were set on a city with unshakable foundations whose architect and builder is God himself. Uh, so they were continually, he was continually receiving that city. This is where you become so convinced of the promise of God that your faith 
keeps you in a place of continuous reception even if you die before seeing it. So continuous faith keeps you in continuous reception of the promise. Can you write that? Continuous faith keeps you in continuous reception of the promise. We use that as a quote. Sarah is hilarious. Okay, let's look at her. That stinker. In continuous reception of the promise. Okay, Sarah's faith embraced, there it is, God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. In other words, she was old. She's an old lady, you know, power surges and such. For the through with power surges. Yeah, she's through at this point. <laughs> For the authority of her faith rested. Now get that. The authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. That's an important phrase. And she tapped into his faithfulness or we could say the spirit of faith, right? So the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise and she tapped into his faithfulness. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead because he was, you know, too old. That he now has offspring as innumerable, as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Okay, this is comical if it wasn't inspired by Holy Spirit. Let me, it's story time if you want to close your eyes. I'm going to read to you Genesis 18. Won't take me long. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. I don't even know how you say it. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So in other words, it sounds like he maybe took a cat nap, and all of a sudden he opened his, opens his eyes, and there's Jesus and two angels. And when he saw him, he ran from the tent door to meet him, bowed himself to the earth, and said, O oh Lord, and that's Yahweh, by the way, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after you, after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So he said, well, do as you said. So Abraham went quickly into the tent of Diane. I mean, I'm sorry, Sarah, because of hospitality. Sorry. <laughs> and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the herd. He took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. They took uh, curds and milk. I don't know what that is. And the calf that he had prepared and set before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, guys, you got to get this. This wasn't like he went over to McDonald's and picked up a couple burgers. Can you imagine cooking back then over fire? And what the heck is curds? Oh, okay. So he's like, one guy's you know, slaughtering a calf you know, to get the meal ready. And I mean, it's goat's cheese. Okay, goat's cheese. So everybody's running around. I'm sure it took a little bit. He stood by them. They ate. Then they said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? Well, that's kind of obvious. She's been cooking all day. But anyway, she's in the tent. So then Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening, like any good female, at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she laughed to herself, not out loud. She didn't know well, saying, after I'm worn out, which is kind of funny, <laughs> rode hard and put up wet, you know what I'm saying? Rode, I mean, Poor worn out. <laughs> My Lord is old, shall I have pleasure, which is evidence that sex is supposed to be pleasurable, guys, for those of you that are married. 
Then the Lord said to Abraham, Hey, why did Sarah just laugh and say, Shall indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year. Next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah said, oh, I didn't laugh because she's afraid. And he said, No, <laughs> you did laugh. Okay, now it's obvious that Hebrews 11 has glossed over a little bit of the story. Okay? She did not believe because her response to the prophetic word was to laugh, and then she lied about it. But we do know that eventually that word had to get its way and work its way into her heart because she had to believe at some point in order to even conceive. Well, the fact that he could prophesy that she had laughed even though she, nobody heard her except her, you know, her insights. And he said, hey, you know, that's a sign and a wonder. And that may have been part of it. Oh, yeah. Part of and he did that all the time. You know, people come around. He's like, why are y'all thinking this in your heart? You know, <laughs> so he's doing it even now. Now, Paul says that she embraced faith. After the Hagar situation, after menopause, all of that stuff, she eventually had to believe. I heard one preacher teach that those stories were filtered through the cross. So in Hebrews 11, we have them filtered through the belief of Jesus Christ so that now their disbelief's not in there. Okay? So that's why it kind of leaves out Sarah's lack of belief. But we do know that eventually uh, she did embrace the miracle power of God to conceive. So verse 13, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised in. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. That is a key right there. If you live as if you're in another realm, which according to Ephesians you are, the faith is a lot easier. But here's the thing. Their faith was apart from the fulfillment of what they asked for. Do you see that? The, all these heroes died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. The reason they could do that is because they believed in and trusted the one, the person, that gave the promise more than anything else. So that is key. Faith, if we take that faith is a spirit, faith is a Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ's spirit, right? They are all one, the Trinity. So the reason God takes unbelief so personally is because unbelief is not trusting Him. So all of these people loved Him more than they did the fulfillment of their promise. All right, now. She, she probably laughed, but at the same time she had that hope. Hope was burst. Yep, it was sparked. So that's what faith does. It's like you're on a journey, but your eyes are constantly fixed on the destination, so much so that time goes by, and you might even die, but you never quit believing. You never doubt. You live in the reality of the promise before it's fulfilled. And finally, verses 14 through 16, For clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater. That is the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God. For He has prepared a heavenly city for them. 
Now the phrase live this way can also be translated speak this way. For those who speak this way are longing for the appearance of a heavenly city. It takes us right back full circle to your mouth and you will speak what you believe, right? So if you allow your heart to remember what you left behind, you're always going to find a way to go back. So here's the key. True faith creates loyalty to the vision inside you, making it a betrayal to go back. Making it a betrayal to not believe Him. Because again, you're believing in a person. That's who you're believing in. You're not believing in a promise. You're believing in the person. And so when you keep your eyes focused, like for me, he's, He gave a word over this city when I was 16 years old, 32 years ago. And that promise and that prophetic word is just as real, just as vibrant, just as important to me as if I heard it yesterday. We even talked about maybe moving over across the border to you know, Farlow or something just to get out of New Mexico. And I'm like, it feels like I'd be betraying the word though. Like, would I still have authority to take a city? You know, those are things I've pondered. And uh, so we're not going anywhere, but, you know, it just, I'm like, could I just ride across the border to where I'm officially in Texas and actual politicians that aren't stupid? I, I laugh because uh, I heard an interview thing and they, uh, they said that there was a prophet that prophesied about Fauci. Mm, the rat. That named, and named his, yeah, the rat, and named his name. Well, then when everything didn't come to pass, and it looked like, well, then he withdrew that. I was wrong. And these, they said, what he did at that point was gave away his authority. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And there were several prophetic words that Fauci was a rat. Um, I knew from the start he was right. He looks like one. I mean, come I, on. You can't I even. keep picturing him in a storybook. A storybook. <laughs> fairy tale something. I know I've seen him somewhere in a book. Yeah. No, he was <laughs> a rat, bought and paid for. But you're right. And that happened a lot. Now, it's one thing to know you got a prophetic word wrong and you apologize for it, right? But God better have. But you better know you got you it wrong. You better know you but when you know that you've heard God and then because something it didn't happen or because you know other people said you heard wrong or whatever it is, now you're a betrayer. And now you lose your authority. And uh, I will never not believe the word God gave me. I'll die before I don't believe that this city is His. So whether I'm laying a groundwork for other people to carry it on or until God takes us elsewhere, I don't care. I just know he said Clovis is his, and that settles it for me. And so it is, it's important to recognize, okay, I probably got that word wrong and maybe to correct it versus all of a sudden your ego and what people think about you is making you doubt and pull back. And then I thought the big criticizers, and I hadn't really considered that, but it's true, that the big criticizers of some of these prophets and their words, they're criticizing that's not right, they're criticizing want them to take it back, but they don't have their own work to God. Yeah. All they're doing is saying, you're Attacking wrong, the other. you're wrong, you're wrong. Not, God showed me yeah. this. Right. 
Right. Although you yeah. are nays naysayers. Haters be hating. You know what I'm saying? Haters be hating. Don't let those haters hate. <laughs> haters hate. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you became the word in the flesh. The word became flesh. And because of that, the word and faith and believing in you goes way beyond just reading words in a, in a, a book, no matter how precious that book is. Faith is always centered around believing who you are who you are to us, the relationship that we have with you, that the promise isn't where we place our faith. We place our faith in you. And uh, it, that's relational, Father. And so if there's anything that people walk away with today, I pray it's the, the reality that faith is an indicator of our trust in you, which tells us that Enoch knew you so well and trusted you so much that you just couldn't stand it. You had to get him up there with you. He never tasted death. And there is going to be a generation, Father, of believers that as a whole, as a group, that they have that type of faith where you're not going to be able to stand it. And you're going to look at your son and say, go get your bride. Father, I don't want this defeatist theology that we're going to be holed up in caves and hiding and all kinds of stuff. And then you're going to come rescue us because we're about to be wiped out. The Israelites might be close to being wiped out before you come, according to, uh, I believe, Zechariah or Zephaniah. But the church, those who know their God, will be doing mighty exploits. So, Father, to me, it's not that you're going to have to re rescue us because we're uh, you know, defeated. Instead, it's you rescue us because we have such faith you can't stand it anymore. That's the army I'm praying for. I want there to be a response to Jesus' question of will I find faith in the earth? With yes, Jesus, you will find faith in the earth because there are going to be those that are faithful to what you say and they're going to raise up an army of people that believe in you even if they never see the promise fulfilled in their time. And so, Father, that's what I ask you to help us do. To lay down a generational framework. Faith is multi-generational. And to lay that down so that the response to your question can be a resounding yes. So that's what I ask you to sign us with as the hub. So Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this assignment. And Father, just knowing that faith is our, uh, um, I guess you would say badge of loyalty, I can say today that right now we're going to give our tithes and offerings to you as a faith-based action because we are loyal to you. We are loyal to you. We love you. And so even our money, even our possessions, they belong to you. And so, Father, we give them to you this morning without any hesitation, no obligation, no uh, persuasion that's needed out of cheerful hearts. And, Father, I almost get like a picture of us this morning that even though we've had lots of joy and good things, it almost feels like we've been kind of walking through a battlefield. Like I feel like there's some dings in our armor and our, you know, our shield of faith has you know, some burn marks and I mean our hair's just crazy looking and dirty and just we've been fighting father we've been building we've been fighting and and, uh, and there's been some very serious you know death you know Kathy's family and Roberta's obviously been uh, fighting the good fight 
uh, all of us have been encountering things. And so, Father, right now, we just take a moment and we settle into your rest. We settle into your rest. And I decree a season of not pulling back or retreating, but a season of finding an oasis to get by, to get your Bible, to get your worship, to just rest. Don't worry about striving. Don't worry about lifting up your sword right now. Polish, anoint your shield of faith with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Get it all repaired. Get everything shined up for the next battle. So that's why I decree over us. We thank you for that, Father. We ask you to receive your tithes and offerings this morning to Jesus Christ. We give cheerfully. We love you. We give you honor. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Would y'all feel that shift? Yeah. Yes.